The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians. We are kind of working slowly through Ephesians, and we're just down to verse 15. And I want you to listen to this last section of the first chapter. This is what Paul writes. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for all the saints. In other words, he could see evidences of their new birth in them. He says, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. This is what he's praying for them, that they would be filled with these things, that Christ would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the more we know about him, the more we know him intimately and personally, that we would... uh, have the spirit, the manifest spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ. This is the great demonstration of God's mighty power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. That is, he gave him this place of absolute authority at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, that is, under Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things for the benefit of the church. Now, what the Bible says is he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and that's for the benefit of his church, his people, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let me read to you a few statements from the New Testament. I've been getting, um, I've been getting text messages of encouragement these last few weeks. And I got to tell you, I was so surprised what it, how it hit me. It's such a wonderful blessing just to hear the words of God about what he's done for us and what he's doing for us now. Listen to this, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, when we first heard the gospel, when the Spirit of God opened our eyes and caused the light of the glory of God in the face of himself to shine in our hearts, all of a sudden our eyes were open and we saw who Christ was. And in 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face. And he's comparing us with Moses, who would always veil his face after he had been in the presence of the Lord because his face would shine so brightly that it scared people. But, but Paul says, but we, with unveiled face, we don't have to cover our face. We don't get that kind of effect 
when we go into the presence of God, but we are, we do experience the very presence of the Lord. And where the presence of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Down in verse in verse, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to understand this, he says. This is why we have so much content in the Bible, because God wants us to know these things. Then he says in the second verse, You know that when you were, were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. That expression means that for someone to say, well, Jesus died because he deserved it. Uh, they were so angry at him, they put him to death. He's accursed. No one by the Spirit of God could say such a thing. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, by opening our eyes to the glory of Christ, convinces us in that encounter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in, in Matthew 16, this is an amazing uh, passage when this is when uh, the great confession takes place. Uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they gave him several answers. And then he turns to Peter and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus responds to his confession. This is the great confession of who Christ is. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but the Father who is in heaven. This was revealed by the Father to, to Peter. Isn't that amazing? That the Father reveals to Peter that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John 1.13, when John is talking about how God saves people. He says, uh, all those who believed on Jesus, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We need wisdom and understanding to be the people of God. This is why he's saying this in the book of Ephesians, that we desperately need the wisdom of God in order to be the people of God who are effectual in doing his work, doing what he called us to do. We need wisdom the wisdom of God, the knowledge and understanding and wisdom of God is something only God can give us. And so he says, beloved, don't believe every spirit. There's always going to be somebody wanting to speak for God, but you can't believe everything everybody says. For one thing, they don't all say things that match. <laughs> Some, one person says one thing, another person says something totally contradictory. Just as it is written, 11, this is Romans 11, 8. Just as it is written, God gave them, that is Israel, his people in the Old Testament, a spirit of stupor. What he means by that, they became confused. Uh, I've been having insomnia for the last three weeks, and I've had probably, I've had uh, these seasons or these few days, uh, three days, one time in three days in a row, I slept for two hours total. And I was like a zombie. And uh, I just, I couldn't think straight. 
And you know what? I don't think it has anything to do with how old I am. I think it has to do with how I lacked sleep and I couldn't think straight. And he says that this is what God did to Israel. He gave them a spirit of stupor. They couldn't make sense of things. Your God was active right in their midst, but he blinded their eyes. Eyes to see not and ears to hear not. Down to this very day, Paul writes. This is in Romans 11. So when he wrote this in Romans 11, he says it's still going on. What is it they can't see? They can't see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They can't see that he, this person who gave every form of proof that you would want that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and yet they can't see it unless God takes the blinders off their eyes. You couldn't see it either. And one day he took the blinders off your eyes, didn't he? The Spirit came and opened your eyes, and you saw the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ, and you knew that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. John four twenty six, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to, it's going to be good for them that he leaves, because when he leaves, he's going to send a helper. You know, he didn't, they, he didn't, he didn't send the helper until he got back to heaven. This is what John 7 tells us, that when he went back to heaven, then he sent the Spirit. And the Spirit's whole job was to come and open the eyes of people to see the glory of Christ, to see that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Every one of you who believed in Christ, it was a result of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and situation, and he opened your eyes and you saw Christ. I don't mean you saw vision. I mean that all of a sudden you knew who he was. Your eyes were wide open. And he says, but now, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That always baffles me because I can't remember what you said over five minutes. And then somebody has to remind me what you said. But he says that the Spirit's going to come and he's going to remind the apostles who were with Jesus for three and a half years. And he's going to remind them of everything he said. Imagine that. Wouldn't you like the helper to do that for you? Absolutely. <laughs> sure. And then he says in chapter 15, verse 26, John still talking, or Jesus still talking about the helper. And John is writing it. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Everything they knew about Christ, they heard from the Holy Spirit, and they were convinced of the truth of it. He is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and he will testify about me. Now, this is primarily talking about the Spirit's ministry to the apostles. But we experience something very much like that, because he's the one who first came and opened your eyes to the glory of God in the face of Christ, and you believed on the Lord Jesus. In chapter 15, verse 27, it says, And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. That's the apostles. But guess what? The same thing is true of you. When the Spirit testifies to you about the truth of Jesus Christ, you can be a witness for the rest of your life. You've been called to be a witness of who Christ is, because the Spirit has opened your eyes to him. Now, this whole issue of knowledge is very important because... um, for example, Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I, I, the reason I wanted um, that passage read that we heard this morning, 
is because it speaks about how God gets truth and knowledge and revelation into our lives. He mentions one thing there in, in that passage. It just follows that. And that one thing is receiving the truth through the word of God. It's, a, it's what you learn in studying the word of God. And it's life-changing. But that's not the only way that you come to understand truth. You come to understand truth by another thing we want to look at as well. It's really obvious in the scripture. Because spiritual wisdom is open to all of God's children today. God wants you to know the truth about who he is and who you are and who his people are. And so the, the Apostle Paul commands in Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10, be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding to walk worthily of the Lord unto all pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This church that Paul is writing to had come to exist through the ministry of Paul and other apostles. They came to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul wants them to think the right thing. He actually wants them to know the right things, to know the truth about Christ, and to communicate the truth about Christ. That's why I've been so blessed by these uh, texts I've been receiving about Christ, and just reminding me of the truth about Jesus. It's the most wonderful thing in the world to hear someone talk about Christ, about the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that I've come to know. So the pathway to knowledge, the knowledge of God that Paul is concerned about is, first of all, knowing God through the Scripture. But secondly, it's knowing God through interacting with God, through experience. It's kind of like if someone was, a, was training and was training as a, an apprentice to be a, a carpenter, let's say, and he has to go to class, right? If you get in the union, you have to go to class, don't you, still? Yes, you have to go to class, and you get some classroom instruction from people who know. But then you also have on-the-job training with journeymen. Now, I'm not talking about you getting, I'm not going to emphasize how you need to have someone disciple you. I'm talking about knowing God through interacting with God. And God actually helps arrange this, you know. James chapter 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials, multicolored trials, trials of every kind that God allows you to fall into trials. Why? And why should I be grateful for that? It's because it's in those trials that you meet God and you walk alongside of God like an apprentice being trained by a journeyman. Because when you, things get really bad, I'm talking about bad enough that you pray about it. You ever have those times when you really are nervous and scared and you don't know what to do and so you begin to appeal to God Please help me, I don't know what to do. Now what we should be saying, we should know enough of the Bible to say instead of please help me, is we should be saying, thank you, Father, for what you've done. You have forgiven my sins. You've made me a child of God. You have given me a family. You've made me a, a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Isn't that what he says in Ephesians 1? He's blessed you with every single, every blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, but 
I grew up when they were always telling me, you and you need this blessing and this blessing and this blessing and this blessing. And I was assured that I did. Then when I ran onto this passage, and it says, I, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. It said, God has provided for you. God has actually given you what you can't even list. None of you could even put a decent list down of all the things that God has blessed you with. But you know what you can do? You can give him thanks for it. And things will come to mind. You know, little things like you've been forgiven of all your sins. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You have been made a child of God. And you have a family. The family of God is your family. You're a member of the kingdom of God. You're living in the kingdom of God, and he wants you to live in a certain way. Not, I'm not talking about keeping rules. I'm talking about living with the right kind of joy, the right kind of attitude that's, that's worthy of living in the kingdom of God. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And so what in Colossians 1, 9 through 12, let me remind you of this. This is why I wanted... I told Steve Colossians 2, but I meant Colossians 1, and he didn't pick up on what I meant. (laughs) Now listen to this. Paul wrote there, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, you understand what wisdom and understanding is. It isn't just knowing facts. It's actually understanding how it fits reality and how I am to live because of it. I'm supposed to live a certain way because of this truth that he wants me to, ha- to understand. And so he prays for them in this way. But there's another way that we grow in knowledge and understanding, spiritual wisdom and understanding, and that is by interacting with God. You know, like praying for a need that is so pressing that you need God to do something and you can't do anything else but appeal to him. You pray because you must. You pray because you're, you're feeling so needy. You're, because this, this thing that you're going through, this multicolored uh, interruption in your life, by God, that's what he says, that God is the one who brings these trials why? You ever try to get a, somebody's attention, maybe a, one of your children's attention, and they just didn't want to give you their attention? And so you put them through a little trial, just a small trial, just to get their attention so they'll listen to you. Well, God brings things in our lives so that we have to deal with God. We have to interact with God. And, um, we, and in that, we have to pray. We have to appeal to him. We draw close to him. We appeal to him based upon who he is, so we keep telling him who he is and why we need this so bad. I remember going through a trial back in probably uh, sometime back (laughs) in the late 90s. And I can remember that I was so burdened with this thing. It was so overwhelming to me that I would go on a five-mile walk every day just to think and pray. That's all I could do because I didn't know what else to do. I was, I, at times I was just sure God wasn't listening to me because I wasn't saying what I was supposed to say or something, say it like I should say it or whatever. But I was desperately in need of God to do something in my life. And so I would appeal to him. I'd walk and walk and walk and walk 
And I would talk to him and talk to him and talk to him and appeal to him to work and to move in a given situation. And he did. And you know what that did for me? It gave me an understanding of God that I didn't have before that. He began to show me who he was. Let me give you an example of this. In the, right before Jesus was crucified, some Sadducees approached him. This was before this, this, these events occurred. But some Sadducees uh, approached him, and they wanted, they wanted to argue with him a little bit. They wanted to argue with him about the resurrection. They did not believe. The Sadducees did not believe there was a resurrection. And so they're arguing with Jesus. Let me tell you something. You want to argue about the Bible or about truth? Don't pick Jesus to argue with. But they're, they're arguing with him, and they're giving him this biblical argument. I'm not going to go into the details. It's about, the, it's about, uh, it's about a brother having to raise up a seed for his brother when he dies. If he dies and has no children, he has a responsibility to marry his brother's widow. And it's, it's kind of detailed. But they gave all the detail. The arguments came right out of the Bible, out of the Mosaic Law. They knew the Bible, they thought. And so they're giving Jesus this pitch. They're telling him why the resurrection is impossible. And then Jesus says to him, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. If you think there's no resurrection. I want you to think about this a minute. This is Jesus. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. He's about to. He's going to die on the cross. And then the father, three days later, is going to raise him from the dead. He already knows that his father has the power to raise him from the dead. But we're, we're told that he tells these Sadducees why they lack the wisdom of God, why they lack the spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's because they don't know about the power of God and they don't understand the scriptures. And so they don't have spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the other way we learn about spiritual wisdom and understanding, how to, how to receive it, how to believe it. It's what God does in our lives. It's not just reading the scriptures. It's experiencing the truth. Now, when Jesus was facing the cross, we have another, right after this, we have another occurrence of this kind of learning of spiritual wisdom and understanding. It says this. This is Luke 22. It says that he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, the people, his, his disciples. He says he removed himself from them, and he knelt down, and he began to pray. And this is what he said. Father, if you are willing, if it's your decision, if you have decided to remove this cup from me, and then he stopped. He was hoping that his father, at that moment, the Jesus the, the person who had become a human being like us, and he said it would be okay with him if the father wanted to remove the cup from him. What's the cup? Well, he was, he, was in, um, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane means the garden of the, the pressing. It means the pressing of the olives and so forth. And so Jesus is there, and he is being prepared by God to go to the cross. And so he says to the father, you know, if, if you have not decided to have me drink this cup, and then he stops himself and he says, yet not my will, 
but your will be done. And then an angel appears and comforts him, strengthens him. And being in agony, it says he was praying very deeply. He was appealing to God again. He prayed again. And then a second time he went away and he prayed saying, My father, if this cannot pass away except I drink it, thy will be done. See, he had to drink the cup in order to deliver us. And he left them again, and he went away, and he prayed a third time. Three times, he's prayed three times about this that he is struggling with. And some of you are thinking, oh, this is God. He doesn't struggle. Yes, he struggled because he's a man also. And he came into this world, and he experienced what it was like to go through a time where he was second-guessing himself in a real sense. But God comes back and speaks to him. And when the last time Jesus prayed to him, he says, My father, this cannot pass, if this cannot pass away, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he left again and went away, and he prayed a third time, saying again the same words. He kept appealing to the Father. Sometimes we cut prayer short. We begin to pray, but they think this is just too long. This is taking too long. It's kind of like Frank's sermons. It's just too long. And, uh, but as you're there, you keep appealing to him because he's doing a work in you. He wants you to deal with him. He wants you to experience his work in your life. And so we repeat ourselves, repeat ourselves. But Jesus finally said, Not my will be done, but your will. And so he went to the cross and died for us. Then you have Paul's thorn in the flesh. You all know about that one. Paul's thorn in the flesh, it's called. We don't know what it was. It obviously wasn't a physical thorn, but it was something that really did bother him. Something he didn't like. And he appealed to Jesus three times to take this thorn away so they wouldn't be suffering. See, he had fallen into a trial. And he appeals to Jesus to take it away. And, and he appealed three times. And then Jesus says, don't worry about it. My grace is sufficient for you. He, that was his dealings with, that was Paul's dealings with Jesus. And the Lord Jesus gave him this word. You can trust me. You don't have to fix this. You don't have to eliminate this. I'll use this in your life. And so Paul obviously learned something about the Lord Jesus at that time. So he says, for this cause, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray and make requests for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. This is what he says in Ephesians, remember? that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding to walk worthily of the Lord. This is actually in Colossians. Worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with power. I guess what I wanted to say to you is this is absolutely necessary. You know, a lot of times what we think in church is, well, if you really want to be effective for Christ, you've got to start coming to church every week and going to every Bible study that's offered. Maybe get in two house fellowships, one on a, each on a different night. You need to start doing more so God will be exalted and glorified. 
Actually, what we need to do is acknowledge God for who he is. We need to have our lives as the living out of what we have discovered about God. Now imagine Paul. He has this thorn in the flesh, so we assume it's something really difficult. He says it was a demon, actually. And so it was something that was very difficult for him. But what he did was he heard Jesus say, let me tell you this about what you're going through. My grace is sufficient for you. So we need both kinds of these knowledge. We need the knowledge of the scriptures, so we should study the word. But we also need the knowledge of our interaction with the living God. We need to go through things where we get so desperate that we call upon him. We plead with him. We turn to him. We, we don't stay flippant. We don't stay like, well, I know, how to, I know how to do this. I've learned all this stuff. I took all the classes. I know how to do this. Well, let me tell you, you don't, and neither do I. We are dependent totally upon the living Christ. And so God wants you to learn who he is. And one of the things that needs to happen in your life is you've got to go through those times where you're wrestling with God, where you're interacting with God, where you're trying to twist God's arm. You ever done that? Where you're trying to get him to deliver you from something that you think, I can't go through this. This is too much. I've talked to people in the midst of that. When they felt like they couldn't go on, they couldn't go through this, they could not continue down this path. It was too much, and they needed, and some of them even thought about suicide to get out of that. But the fact is, you do need this, because this is how God reveals himself to you. <laughs> this doesn't sound good, does it? This is how God reveals himself to you. And it comes through these kinds of things, where he allows you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, where you get to know God, and you call upon God, and you appeal to God, and God comes through in a different way than you thought. And you see that it was a greater act and manifestation of his love than you thought it would be. It's the greater manifestation. And he takes you through this. And you know him in a new way. And now you wouldn't be told what Jesus told the Sadducees. You don't know the power of God. God's power is manifested in ways that we can't even imagine. And so he takes us through these valleys and through these difficult things. That's not God abandoning you. That's the way you would read it, perhaps, but that's not what it is. God knows exactly what he's doing, and he's doing it because he loves you, because he has a plan. He says that he has... He has laid out a plan to conform you to the image of Christ because he first set his love on you. It's because of his love for you. And we think, where is he? He's abandoned me. I can't believe he would allow me to go through this. Well, then you don't know his love. It's so deep. He, is, he loves you so deeply that he's going to allow you to go through things that you will have to. You will come to the place, you will come to the end of yourself and you'll have to cast your, yourself on him. You'll have to do what Peter says. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God by casting all your anxieties on him because it matters to him about you. It matters to him about you. He actually cares what's going on in your life. And you're thinking, how could he care? Look what he's letting me go through. Oh, no, that's why he's letting you go through it, because of his love for you. And he's going to work in you. 
in a powerful way. And so we will know the power of God as we go through these valleys and Jesus Christ and the Father walk through it with us. And we come to discover his mighty power that he has and who he really is. And so what we should do is to receive the troubles so that God can reveal his power to you. I need to know his power. Because Jesus said the Sadducees' problem was they didn't know the power of God. And a lot of times that's our problem. We don't know the power of God. Are you telling me he can take me through this valley? He can make me go through this, and that's a manifestation of his love? Yes, amen. That is the manifestation of his love. When he takes you through valleys that you didn't think you could go through. And your view of God increases, and it it, it matures. You become more mature in your love of this God. He's a God who loves us in ways that we can't even describe or explain, but we can feel them, we can understand them, and it can change everything in our life. Um, James, the book of James has always been amazing to me because it, it clearly tells you there that God allows you to go through trials. He actually guides you through trials. He leads you through these trials so that you will receive the most important thing in all of life for you, and that is to come to understand God in a way that you didn't before. He's a glorious God. And he, he shows his glory in, in places and in the valleys where you would never want to go. This isn't like a, uh, you know, a murder mystery or something, that you know, one of those horror movies that you watch and you get all scared and creepy. It's not like that. It's that God wants to display his mighty, mighty power and glory as you're going through it. And I was at a meeting once up in Portland, Oregon. It was a pastor's conference. And so uh, this guy that was, was preaching had every pastor who was going through a particular valley, he named it, and he wanted us to stand up, and then he asked us to come forward. And we got up there, we thought he was going to pray for us. I was, at, I was actually going through one of those, that valley. So I go down there, and he didn't pray for us. He says, now I want you to pray for one another. I want you to, to latch yourself to one of these men that's close to you and pray for each other. And I'll tell you, I can still remember that. I remember the conversations that went on in that little gathering up there in the front of that big auditorium. And every man was saying, every one of them testified to the fact that God was showing them things in this horrible situation that they had never understood and never seen before. That's how God is. And you may be going through something really wretched right now that you can't even imagine that God would allow something like this. But let me tell you, he does allow it because he loves you so much. Because he loves his father so much. Because he wants you to know his father. You know, sometimes you get so desperate you actually turn to God. Some of you have read that book, uh, Chasing God. In fact, I think they did. Did they do a movie of that? I don't remember. But Chasing God is about this guy who came to faith in Christ in a little church, and they decided to give him a ministry. They had him take over their tape ministry. You remember tape ministries and little cassette tapes? The first tape that he 
looked at and, and checked out and removed all the bad the, the stuff in it that wasn't, that you couldn't hear it. It was called Chasing God. And this, pat, this uh, visiting speaker was telling them, if you really want to have a relationship with God, if you really want to know God, you're going to have to learn to chase God. And basically, this is what he said. And this guy picked up on it. When you don't know what to do, you need to fast and pray because you can trust the fact that God is for you and not against you. And so ask him, ask him what the solution, what should I do in this situation? And you would think, well, sometimes it's just obvious, isn't it? That you're going through something really deep and horrible and you know what you ought to do. You've got to pray, 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 pray and ask for advice from every Christian you know and even maybe some non-Christians or especially wise people. But what God says is, oh, I want you to learn to come to me. I want you to come to know me. I want you to come to know the kind of love I have for you. You know yourself, and you know you don't deserve to be loved, but you deserve to know why I love you. And and the only way you can understand that is if you go through this valley of the shadow of death and you find him to be everything you need. And I'm telling you, I've heard some of the strangest ways that God has spoken to people. My son, I hate to tell this story because he's sitting right there because I'll just tell you it was him. He was going through a very deep trial and uh, he was talking to me on the phone, 4 a.m., because he was in Missouri, the center of the United States. And uh, he was talking to me about this and it was overwhelming me what he was saying. You know, where is God? Why is he allowing this to happen? And then he says... All of a sudden, he's on his way to work, and all of a sudden, he says, you'll never believe this. I said, what? He says, I'm looking at the car ahead of me, and this is what it says on the bumper. And he quoted these two verses. I don't remember which, which verses they were now, but it was incredible. It was like, what a coincidence, huh? That the God of the universe speaks directly to him through a bumper sticker. <laughs> and, and what does it do? It tells him who God is. See, it tells me who God is. Sometimes all I'm doing when I'm praying and going through a difficult time is, God, please get me out of this. Please get me out of this. I know I made a mistake. I made some bad decisions. Please get me out of this. I never think to say, Father, thank you for this trial. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to understand what you're saying to me. I want to know you. I really do want to know you. And I want you to use this trial to teach me the truth about who you are. And so what we're supposed to do is receive the troubles so that God can reveal the power, his power, to you. And this takes place as you apply the word of God to your life. I was recently going through some stuff, and I just happened to, I was reading through the Bible, I was reading through the New Testament, reading through Philippians, actually, and I got to 4.6. I forgot that verse was there. You know what that verse says? Be anxious about nothing. Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And it was like, it was so simple, because what it said was, what do you do when you're full of anxiety? This is what the Bible says to do. It says to take your request to God through worship 
and through supplication, which means bearing your heart, the real desires you have in your heart, and with thanksgiving. And you think, well, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to thank God until he's done something, am I? Uh, yeah, it's okay to do that. Because you could thank him for being God and not you. Thank him for having all power and authority and the ability. He knows exactly what we need. He knows the solution. So this is what Paul is concerned about in Ephesians, this chapter. This is, the, this is what comes right after the Barakah. Remember that, the Barakah, which is the expression of his blessedness of God. And then he finishes that, and then he says this. I, w- I am praying that you would be filled with knowledge and wisdom and spiritual understanding. Because that's what churches have to have when they begin to exist and when they exist throughout all of life. They have to have people in them who are growing in wisdom and understanding, spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because when people come into a local church, many of them have this crazy idea that anybody there could, could help them with some spiritual wisdom and understanding. And you know what? They should. That should be the characteristic of every believer in a local church. We should be filled with the knowledge of wisdom and understanding that we can share with others. But the only problem is, is that if all we're doing, if we're doing this a lot, if we're spending a whole lot of time avoiding problems, avoiding difficult situations, then we're going to miss out on being taught by God about how his power. He's able to deliver us. So I just want to encourage you that God's willing. He's willing to teach you both through his word and through your circumstances. And it's the most wonderful thing in the world. There's nothing like it. So let me pray, and I'll I'll stop. Our Father, how thankful we are that you have the ability to teach us in ways that we never thought of. It seems so backwards and upside down. We thought the way you taught us was by just being so gracious and overwhelmingly giving to us we, we thought that you were always going to pour your rich, rich blessings upon us that would make us love you and make us trust you. But in fact, Father, you, you give us the ability to trust you when you show us in the most difficult ways for us to receive how that your power and your love is not diminished in any sense when we face difficulties. In fact, it's enhanced because it gets us to put our attention on you. So we pray that you'd work in our lives this week. Help us to, help us to receive our interaction with you, Father, that you deal with us. Help us to pay attention. Help us to want to understand who you are and what you're like. What kind of a God is this who allows his children to go through these things? Job's wife thought he was the kind of God that you should reject You should curse him and die. But Father, we thank you that we've learned through these trials that you're the God that we can trust explicitly and implicitly. We can trust you with all of our life. We can put everything in your hands. And so, Father, that's what we want to do. We want our our life being spent learning the power of God and manifestation. We pray that you would bless us so that we could bless others. We pray that you could teach us about who you are so we could teach others. 
We pray, oh God, please work in our lives. Work in the, the worst of circumstances, we pray, for your glory and for our good, that we could come to know you in a deep and satisfying way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.